You're listening to X-Ray FM on KXRY Portland at 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland and 91.7 FM in Nehalem, Manzanita, and Rockaway Beach. Streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. This is Amplify Women on X-Ray FM. I'm your host, Melissa Harrell-Fry. In celebration of International Women's Day, we're hosting 12 hours of programming, amplifying women's voices and providing intersectional education on a diverse range of issues impacting women in Portland and beyond. Between now and 7 p.m., you will be hearing some of Portland and beyond's most impactful community leaders, educators, activists, artists, and professionals tell their stories to educate, empower, and inspire change. Today, we'll be discussing women in the technology industry, centering on a discussion regarding how to navigate bias from entry level to the C-suite with the women from Profix. As part of the programming, we'll hear from Jasmine Dorset, Marley White, Susan Gershman, and Mandy Poon. Despite positive changes, a gender gap in the world of technology still does exist around the world. According to the Business Today Journal, there are less than 30% of women in technology, and less than 20% are in executive positions. Today, I want to dive into what this statistic really means and why it matters. First, I want to welcome to the program Women of Profits, which is a financial performance platform. Let's go around the mic for introductions. Introduce yourself and let us know what your position is now and take us through your career journey. Jasmine, I'll start with you. And why don't you also explain who Profix is? Thanks very much, Melissa. So I'm Jasmine Dorsett. I am currently a product marketing manager at Profix. Um, just to explain what Profix is. So as Melissa indicated, Profix is a business-to-business cloud-based financial performance platform located in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, just outside of Toronto. Profix has been around for over 35 years, and we specialize in meeting the needs of the office of the CFO. Uh, as for me, um, I've actually been with Profix for uh, just over 10 years and uh, in a number of roles uh, during my time at Profix. Uh, so I've spent the majority of my time in the professional services department, which is implementing with our customers, uh, implementing the software with our customers. Then also uh, I've spent uh, some time in our customer success department, uh, working with customers after they've implemented. I've also worked out of our UK office, um, which was at the time it was based in Basingstoke in the UK, but now is based in London. Um, and uh, most recently, I have joined the marketing department as a product marketing manager. Uh, so using my wealth of knowledge of our uh, software and our products uh, to uh, help to evangelize our, our software and all that. So that's me. Thanks, Jasmine. Marley, why don't you give us an introduction of yourself? I am Marley White. I am also located in the greater Toronto area in Ontario, Canada. Um, Above all, I am a mother of two beautiful kids, uh, two and three years old. I am a wife, a daughter, an outdoorsy person. I like to seek adventure and I love to dance. And I think above all, I would spend all of my sunny summer days in my garden while reserving only the rainy days for working at my computer. But formally, I am a product manager at Profix Software, and we create uh, financial reporting and budgeting solutions for the Office of Finance uh, in a wide range of industries, really. Often in social settings, people will assume that I said project manager, but I am a product manager. Essentially, I act as a translator. I use my academic background in finance and accounting, as well as my extensive experience implementing business solutions to finance departments around the world. I've worked in Canada, the US, and Europe, and I communicate to our software developers what features and functions should be built into our software to truly solve the the problems identified uh, within our customer base. In addition to my product management role, I am also the executive director of corporate social responsibility part-time. By formal definition, this role is responsible for the sustainable and social responsibilities of the organization. 
but I have the utmost belief that this this concept boils down to the advocacy and engagement of the people who work here uh, at all levels throughout the organization. It's about aligning the international colleagues from various cultures and languages and political views. Um, and yeah, overall, I, I think I, I touch a, have touched in a few different areas inside of Profix. Um, I first started off as a consultant and to reflect on that and where I am now in my career journey, uh, there's definitely a lot that has happened over the past 10 years. Thank you, Marley. I'm going to um, shift to Susan Gershman. And Susan, if you could introduce yourself. Absolutely. Thanks, Melissa. I'm Susan Gershman, and my role at Profix is Chief Customer Innovation Officer. So in that aspect, I am a member of the senior leadership team at Profix. I am the only woman on the senior leadership team at Profix. So we can chat a little bit more about that probably throughout this discussion. I think it'll, it'll likely, likely come up. My area of responsibility is really everything that touches our customers. So from the professional services team where Jasmine and Marley both said they started their careers, that the team that works on onboarding our customers and getting them to successfully use the software to our customer success organization that ensures the ongoing success, support and effective use and adoption of the software throughout the organization. I also have a team focused on enablement. So ensuring our customers are enabled and ready to be successful with the software, as well as our, our team, our internal employees, ensuring they understand the software as well as getting enabled on lots of internal policies and, and processes. And then I have a group that is really focused on innovation, change, and evolution, and constantly looking at new ways of doing things and, and kind of getting out of the box and getting out of the comfort zone and new ways to drive value for us as an organization, but most importantly for our customers, their finance teams, and having them receive value and drive their businesses forward to competitive advantage for them. My background before I came into this role, I'm actually an accountant by background. So my, I started my career in accounting, uh, but have spent most of my career in software in various roles. Interestingly, more on the sales and marketing side than where I sit now on the, on the customer side. I spent a good chunk of my career demonstrating software to finance organizations throughout my career. Then moved into marketing. I was a CMO of a, mar a chief marketing officer of, a, of another technology company, ran operations for another software company. Um, prior to joining Profix in this role just over two years ago, I was working as an independent consultant doing consulting with a number of different technology firms on strategy, on marketing, on process, on operations. Profix was actually one of my uh, favorite clients, and, and I ended up leaving my consulting practice and joining the company uh, in 2020. And yeah, that's a little bit of my career progression and where I am today. Thank you, Susan. I, I love having the voice of an executive um, in our conversation today. And last but certainly not least is Mandy Poon. Mandy, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yes, of course. Thank you, Melissa. Hi, everybody. I'm Mandy, and I'm the Director of Brand Marketing at Profix. I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary at Profix, actually, and I'm in charge of our brand. So everything from the way our brand looks and sounds to creative content production and external reputation management as well. Um, I started off my career working in public relations and advertising agencies as a strategist, before I started moving into more marketing leadership type roles on the client side. And throughout my career, I've been involved in the tech space um, from working with consumer tech brands to now being at Profix. Um, and when I'm not at work, I'm usually baking, baking up a storm. I am uh, the chief cookie officer, so to speak, for a small cookie business called Moon Bakes. And that's been my passion project for the last few years. So that's a little about me. Thank you, Mandy. As a woman in tech myself, 
I quickly noticed that I stood out. I'm thinking about how that might feel to all of you as well. Might someone share a triumph that you experienced that relates to being a female in the tech industry? Marley, would you like to share something? I would love to. I have been an employee at Profix for just over a decade. And in the business world, there's this general understanding that uh, businesses must grow first to a point at which they can afford to implement corporate social responsibility initiatives. Um, I just want to touch upon how my female voice has steered the conversation at Profix when it comes to corporate social responsibility or CSR initiatives um, at our organization. Uh, this is, it's a reactive approach to first grow to a point where you can afford to give back to the community. And this reactive approach is usually built out of a necessity of social pressure to follow a standard of behavioral expectations that can ultimately reflect externally on a company's brand. But quite frankly, I'd expect organizations that take this approach to experience some resistance internally and ultimately not find uh, success or the impact they're looking for because their employees can see right through the values that are created for this external purpose. Uh, when I started at Profix, there was no formal corporate social responsibility committee or initiatives, but there were good people. People who organized fundraisers, people who volunteered for opportunities before, during, after the workday, people who would advocate for causes and easily rally their colleagues behind them because we were just a group of simply good people. Now, as the company grew, this organic goodness grew into a corporate social responsibility or CSR committee, a group of volunteers who formalized much of this goodness into programs and reoccurring initiatives. And we as, as people, as Profix fixers, that's what we call ourselves as employees at Profix, uh, as fixers, we're fortunate to work for an organization that prioritizes and supports and amplifies this employee goodness with corporate resources. And as the company scaled uh, to grow even more, even bigger, uh, we came to formalize even further with a leader that would drive strategic direction of sustainability and social e outreach, uh, enter me. This is when I knew that I stood out. I stood out in my consistency, not only participating in these corporate social events from day one, but continuously organizing them year after year. Uh, I would still, I was, and I, I still am fueled to get out of bed in the morning to maximize my positive impact that I can have on this world. And I have at my fingertips, the support, the platform, the resources to inspire an entire organization community to do the same thing, to maximize that positive impact in this world. I mean, how positive, how, how powerful is that? That's amazing. And I managed to organically align my working hours with something that I'm extremely passionate about, uh, a career that does good. And as a woman, I reflect on this from time to time and I'll ask, well, why is this important to me? Why do I care and care so deeply? Is it to be a female leader and find success in breaking through those traditional ceilings in senior level management? I am the executive director of corporate social responsibility. Or as a woman, does it even count if I'm achieving leadership success in this CSR role and not my formal career path in the technology industry? Why, why do I care so much? This is where <clears throat> if you've ever done shadow work, I've come to realize that I care because I'm cursed with growing up as a quote unquote good girl. Uh, a product of parenting and social expectations that girls should be good and to some extent quiet. An upbringing dominated by shoulds. You should hide your feelings. You should sacrifice. You should be compliant and obedient. An upbringing that's dominated by this external expectation uh, 
uh, of fear of failure. And as an adult, this has produced a woman that fully embodies the good girl caretaker role. Uh, I'm a chronic people pleaser. I am scared to have boundaries. I take on more than I can chew. Uh, not stopping to consider my own needs. This is growing up as a woman. And fact, I have two roles. I am a product manager and I am executive director of corporate social responsibility. I'm also taking the time and the steps to grow through this cursed identity as a good girl caretaker. Um, but I also recognize that I have been able to channel these innermost challenges of growing up as a girl to become a woman that can influence an entire goodness of an organization and the people that represent it. It's only because of this life experience that I can approach the CSR strategy at Profix to be one that remains organically tied to its people as it scales. That influence is powerful. This approach is unique in the business world. It stands out and, and so do I. Marley, thank you so much. You do stand out. I have chills just thinking about what you're talking about. It's, it's quite a triumph in your role and as a woman. I'd like to take a moment to let everyone know, for those just tuning in, my name is Melissa Harrell Fry, and I'm speaking with the women from Profix. We've been discussing women in tech industry as part of X-Ray's annual Amplify Women Teach In. We're talking about triumphs that we as women have experienced in our own careers. And Marley just shared a wonderful story, but I'd love to hear from others on our panel because I think all of the women that we have today are accomplished. I know they are, and they all have their own story. So I, I'm going to shift now to Jasmine, if you'd like to share um, an accomplishment or a triumph from your own career. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks, Melissa. Um, and Marley, um, your story has been so, um, you know, just so inspiring, just hearing how you've turned, you know, what could be considered a curse uh, into uh, a way to triumph and into a way to influence others. Um, so for me, um, as I mentioned, I have been at Profix for uh, over 10 years. And uh, during that time, I've actually um, been in 10 roles at Profix. Um, so uh, it's actually, it hasn't been one one per year. Uh, in fact, um, prior to this role that I'm in now, which I just started in September of last year, my last role I was actually in for three years. Um, but, you know, it's kind of uh, doing secondments, doing uh, transfers, lateral transfers and all that. Um, I think that one of the common themes that tends to come up, especially when you have uh, different forums for women, is the topic of resilience and adaptability and, you know, just needing to be sort of a multitasker and all that. And I think that during my time at Profix, um, you know, I sort of proven myself to be exactly that. So, um, you know, um, sometimes multiple times per year, moving into a new role, um, in some cases, a new department altogether, learning the processes and procedures necessary for that department, and then also bringing in my own uh, skills and um, combining those with what's already present in that particular area, that particular team. And um, basically, yeah, just kind of continuously adapting and continuously uh, being resilient in terms of learning something new all the time and always uh, accepting new challenges. Um, so one of the biggest uh, triumphs I think that I've had at Profix was, as I mentioned, my last role was uh, one that I was in for three years. Um, so Profix is a cloud-based um, platform. And um, as a part of our journey, uh, we didn't start off as a cloud-based platform. So we started off as on-premise software and moved to the cloud. And as a part of that, because the company has been in business for over 35 years, as you can imagine, we would have had customers that were on-premises. Um, so what that means is if you think of something, say, like um, you know, like your common uh, tools that you use on your computer, Microsoft Office or something like that, Previously, you used to buy uh, Microsoft Office, you would buy it, you would get a CD, and you would 
plug that into your computer, it would install on your computer, and then you would have that and you'd be good to go. And you could use that for however long until you needed an upgrade. Uh, so our software was like that. We literally would, you know, customers would buy our software, we would send them a DVD, they would install that on a server because it's larger than, you know, one computer could support. They would install that on a server and then they would use the software. And from time to time, they would need to upgrade it and all that, which we supported as a part of our customer success um, department. Now, once we moved to the cloud, uh, there was a need to get our on-premises customers onto the cloud as well. Uh, in order to continue innovating and all that, our software enhancements, uh, every time we do a release, now we release on the cloud only. So all our customers, you know, several thousand customers that we had on-premises needed to move to the cloud. Um, so my team um, in my last role was dedicated to moving our customers to the cloud. Um, so I handled our cloud migrations and it was a completely new role. I had never been in, um, and it, it basically was created for me um, when I saw the need that, you know, we have a lot, we have a bunch of customers that need to move to the cloud. So we need someone to manage that. So I basically crafted that role for myself and um, created a team specifically dedicated to doing that. Along with that, uh, I also created all the processes that were needed uh, working with our sales team uh, to, you know, kind of say, these are the things that you need to do in order to sell migrations, working with our marketing team uh, in order to develop assets for, um, you know, if we want to advertise our cloud migrations, how do customers find out about what they need to do, um, working with our development team to develop uh, various uh, applications and tools in order to say, okay, well, as a part of your migration, um, these are the things that we need to check in your on-premises software. Um, these are the things that once you get into the cloud, we need to check. So um, it was a very, very cross-functional role. But then on top of that, I also managed a team of consultants that were actually doing the migration with our customers and handling all of that. And then I also worked with our partner network. Um, so we also have a network of partners. And um, for the partner network, I was also training them because they have their own customers that they would implement uh, the migrations with. So I taught them the migration process as well as supporting them when they were doing their own migrations. Um, so even just within that one role, you can see the sort of multitasking that's required, um, continuously adapting and all that as we grew from, you know, the first year that I did migrations, um, I think that was in 2019, where we had, uh, I think, a total of 15 migrations that year to last year, um, just before I left the role, where we had uh, close to 100 in the year. So, um, you know, continuously growing and changing. And I think that um, the team is still functioning um, because we haven't finished all our migrations now. But, you know, it's gotten to the point where... Um, the process is so repeatable and all that, that I've been able to leave that in the hands of one of the other managers, train up uh, the consultant such that they're able to handle themselves and all that. They can actually answer the manager's questions um, if they have questions and that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's been one of my biggest triumphs at Profix. I actually got to see that in process and as it happened, Jasmine. So it it absolutely is a triumph. And I think as women, it, it we're taught all those skills that you talked about, multitasking and talking to um, different levels of people within our organization and outside of our organization. And I think that's something that you brought as a woman to the table that not everyone could have accomplished. So it was great to see. Let's switch our conversation now to Susan. You have been at the executive table uh, more than once, and you are at Profix, the only woman at the executive table. So I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts are on your career journey and what that's like being uh, one of the only women in the room. Yeah, it's interesting, Melissa, because it's something that being the only woman in the room has happened more so as I've really gotten to that C-suite and that senior level throughout my career, I was never the only woman. There were certainly there's a minority of women in tech, but there's also a good and growing number. Um, but as you get more senior, and I don't think this is exclusive to tech, I think it's really across the board in many industries, there tend to be 
less women in the more senior roles. I think a lot of what Marley spoke about and Jasmine spoke about qualities that successful women have of being resilient, of wearing multiple hats. And, and it's not just successful women that do that. All successful people really have to have to have a lot of these characteristics. I think that that, that has really helped drive me. I've always said, you know, people would look at me and say, oh, what's her triumph? She's in the C-suite. Wow, that's a woman in the C-suite in tech. That's great. And, and it is, and it's interesting and fun and challenging and rewarding and all of those things. But I never actually set out to be there. That was never my ultimate objective or goal. So my triumph is really, I've had a career that I've enjoyed and I've loved and I've succeeded because I'm doing what I enjoy and what I love on a day-to-day basis. And the thing that probably brings me the most pleasure and satisfaction is being able to help develop people and help develop my team and help people learn more, do more, do better, achieve their goals, understand their goals, help them formulate what it is that that they want to do. And to me, that that's my big triumphs is seeing people that I have worked with, that I have mentored, that I have seen. Sometimes I've worked with people in different companies and, and we end up working together and watching watching people drive to that success is extremely rewarding. In, in my role at Profix, where I'm also working so closely with customers and ensuring that they're seeing value, seeing the customers get the value and hearing the customers tell the stories and how, how life is better for a financial analyst that's now using Profix and they can get home to their kids at a reasonable time instead of sitting pounding numbers in their office all night. That gives me, that gives me pleasure as well. But my big triumph is really that I've been able to, throughout my long career, and I've been in, been in the tech space for, I don't even want to say how many years, 30 plus, 35 years, um, you know, I've raised a, raised a family, two wonderful, strong daughters, one of whom's actually working in marketing tech, um, the other one's a teacher, and just, I've had a good balance in my life, and I attribute it to some of what you know, the other women have talked about it, partly, how was I brought up? I from the time I was a child, my mother drilled into me, as a woman, you have to have a profession, you always have to have a profession, you have to have something to fall back on, which is probably why I got an accounting designation, because that was my security blanket in the back corner, even though I never directly worked as an accountant, I spent my whole career working with accountants and, and software for the finance organization. So it's been a great, great knowledge base. So there's that there's, there's the resilience, there's the multitasking. And I always say, for me, it's all common sense. I really just apply common sense in how I how I work with people, how I work with the rest of the executive team, how I interact with the board. It's it's listen, be curious, ask questions, and apply that common sense. And and that's what's that's what's worked for me in, in my career. And just encourage people to take an interest and and be open and let people help guide you and ask ask for help and guidance when and where you need it as well. Thank you, Susan. That's so important to have that, to have you as a um, mentor for other women who want to be in the space. That's really wonderful. And you hit a key point, which is listen. That's, as women, we're taught to listen, but that's really important in the business world to be successful is listening. And many people don't do that. Mandy, you, I think, have an interesting story to bring to the table as well, because you not only are a chief baker um, at your company, you also helmed the process of rebranding profits, which is quite a process and not all marketers get to do that in their career. So talk to us a little bit about um, what that journey has been like, what, what have your triumphs been? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, to be honest, uh, with this rebrand, I've just been really grateful for all the support that I've been getting. Um, It's a major brand initiative here that I'm leading, and I've just gotten so much support and so much trust from my team, my colleagues, from the senior leadership at Profix as well, and just having that is extremely important. 
Um, I'm grateful to say that I don't think gender has come into question, especially for something like when you're proposing a rebrand, essentially means you're coming in and challenging the status quo or the way things are. Um, you're proposing a completely new vision as well. And challenging convention, it's something that has always kind of come naturally to me. I think it's because of the strong, sassy woman who raised me, um, who always said to me, who cares what they think? You just do you. So that's been really helpful to have that perspective. And at the same time, you know, it could be because of all the conventions that are put on me, not just as a woman, but as an Asian woman, a visible minority. So I'm glad that I'm at an organization that is really open to uh, new perspectives and really welcoming um, for those new perspectives as well. Um, I think that with this rebrand project, it's been really exciting, but my favorite part, similar to what Susan was saying, is that you know, when you get a chance to lead big projects, you can also lift other people and allow other women and their talents to shine. And I've seen often that women shy away from claiming their accomplishments. I think women are more likely to, you know, um, credit luck as opposed to their own, um, their own willingness and their own talents to be able to make things happen. And so it's been really great for me, um, this rebrand project at Profit, because it was also an opportunity to collaborate with really talented women on my team within the within Profits as well. Also, it's an opportunity to coach others and give credit, you know, again, shine the light back on the talented people that you're working with. Um, and of course, lots of great people within Profits, but also had the opportunity to collaborate with some incredible women-led agencies and businesses as well to bring our vision to life. So I always have this mentality of, you know, if you're not going to toot your own horn, I'm I'm going to toot it for you. <laughs> and I've told people on my team that before who are a bit shy to claim the accomplishments that they've had. So yeah, that's been, you know, rebranding is great and major marketing initiatives are great, but it's even better to be able to lift others and give others a chance to work on some exciting things too. Thank you, Mandy. And I have seen that you have encouraged me to toot my horn before. So I know that's true. <laughs> um, this is some great triumphs that we've been talking about, but it does make me think of the other side of the coin, which is challenges that we as women have faced in our career and how we might have overcome them. I'd like to talk, speak to Jasmine. Time. I'd like Jasmine to speak about her time in professional services in particular, which at one point, I believe, Jasmine, you were the only woman leader in professional services. And how did that feel? What challenges did you encounter? So yes, as you indicated, during not so much in my last role uh, within professional services, but the first part of when I became a leader within professional services at Profix, I was the only female within the management team. And it was it was quite difficult. Um, so actually, just today, I learned a new term, which is called tall poppy syndrome. And I'm not sure if you guys know what this is. So what this is, is essentially where the tallest poppy is the one that is liable to get cut. That is something that unfortunately women tend to experience disproportionately as compared to men. While it's been a journey that I have sort of overcome, that is something that I uh, I did experience initially uh, during my first stint in management uh, within professional services. Unfortunately, you know, like very, very frequently within the department, even though there's, there's probably a fair number of females, maybe about 30% of the department is female, and it may even be a larger percentage now. There were a lot of times where I was the only female in meetings, a lot of the time where I was the only female that had a speaking role in a meeting, when especially, as Mandy mentioned, being a visible minority, so being a Black female as well, um, that can come with its own biases and certain misconceptions and things like that. So I do think that there were certain, you know, for instance, when I was promoted to a management position, two of the other people that had applied for the role 
um, you know, in speaking with um, other, uh, well, one of the directors, actually two different directors shared with me that those other people that had been in the running, it was a sort of a mudslinging exercise where as opposed to saying these are the things that make me great for this role, it was why is Jasmine not right for the role? just to experience something like that. And this is despite the fact that I had more work experience than they did and had come in to the organization in a higher role than they did. You know, it was just sort of, unfortunately, a little bit of a mudslinging exercise. Now, that being said, um, it was, I think, something where I just went on. And as Mandy said, it was just, you do you. And, you know, don't don't worry about what other people think. That has been my attitude in a lot of respects. And so um, I've used that sort of attitude to just continue on and prove that, okay, well, I was the best person for the job, regardless of what the other people thought or said. So that's been one of the big challenges, just being in, um, I think, a male-dominated industry, as a female, there is that tendency to sometimes discredit what women say or do or to challenge them more than you would challenge another man. And while I think that Profix is one of the companies that fortunately is quite progressive in that respect, uh, there are still, you know, certain actors that will still, you know, kind of adhere to the, the norm. I think culturally, Profix is one that pushes um, and is is very progressive, especially when it comes to females. And in fact, during my time at Profix, I implemented um, or started an initiative for female empowerment, and that was well supported from the very top by our CEO. That then, just at a point when things got too busy. Unfortunately, I had to let it go. But then um, I am now a part of our diversity, equity and inclusion committee. And, you know, female empowerment is then a part of that. Uh, we are doing special things for International Women's Day, Aprofix. And, um, you know, just as a company, I think as a whole, there is a lot of progress. But yeah, unfortunately, there are still some of those isolated incidents that do happen. Thank you for sharing that, Jasmine. I do think that that shows even within a progressive company, um, there is bias there that exists. um, And that is indicative of what's the world at large. So it's something that is important for us to acknowledge and talk about as women. Susan, I would pivot to you to ask, how does that look from the executive level? What type of challenges or pushback have you had that are related to being a woman? I actually feel very fortunate in that I don't have a lot of examples of pushback that I've received because I'm a woman. I don't think I've had any opportunities given to me because I'm a woman, nor would I want them. I would really only want an opportunity if I was the right person and and the best person for an opportunity. But I have to say, I feel in my career, I've been very, very fortunate where it really has never felt like a blockage. Yes, I've certainly been in situations where it's a bit of a boys club and socially it can be maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And if I wasn't here, what would they be doing? Or would they rather I'm not here if I'm the only woman out at a dinner with a group of men? But that's probably in my head as opposed to anywhere else. And I I really do feel fortunate that I, I don't have stories and examples of where I've been held back, isolated, had any really negative experiences. I'm also one to be pretty chill and easygoing and things that maybe other people would consider negative, I might just let roll off me. That's just my nature in general in life. So other people might have gone through experiences that I did and felt that this was a a negative experience. Whereas for me, it's just it's life. I pick my pick my battles. I, I pick where I want to fo- focus my energy. And again, like I said earlier, I just really focus on doing the right thing, applying common sense, being pretty chill, pretty rational, pretty logical and, and smart. And it's worked out. I love that. And that's such great advice to women also is, is apply common sense. It's a good thing to think about. Mandy, I am thinking about what you do in Profix and your role where you 
not only are dealing with internal customers, I would say, in, within Profix, that is male dominated, but you're also um, talking to actual Profix customers as leading the brand initiative, leading our content strategy. It's a male dominated world that you're talking to. I read in the Journal of Accountancy um, just yesterday that they reported the number of CFOs who are women is at an all-time high of 16%, only 16%. So how has that been a challenge for you in maybe adjusting your voice as a woman to uh, reflect what you think men may want to hear? Well, I haven't been marketing to CFOs for very long, and it's very shocking to hear that uh, there's not a lot of women CFOs out there. Um, doing that work has really only been during my tenure at Profix, but I can very much relate to the challenges of being a woman in a male-dominated field and also having to communicate to a lot of men. And I think that uh, I'm just very familiar with that feeling of being the only woman in the room or on a team. In terms of challenges that I've faced before, I mean, certain things very much stick out in my mind. And maybe it's because I was in the very early stages of my career, some very formative years of my career that I feel like these things are very significant. Uh, a there was a lot that I experienced while being on the agency side. And if you've watched shows like Mad Men, uh, some agencies still have a little bit of that mentality. And I remember just suddenly noticing that, you know, sometimes I would be, or a lot of times, actually, I would be the only woman in a meeting. And I'm not the most junior person, but I would be the only one that they would ask to grab coffees for everyone or take notes or... Uh, if you remember dialing into conference calls, I would, you know, all the men would sit there and wait, just sit in the meeting room and wait. And there was always going to be a woman to dial into the conference call, even though that woman, sometimes myself, we were not the most junior person there. I've also had experiences of being called aggressive, abrasive, bossy uh, for acting in a very similar way to a male peer. And the male would be promoted and they would be called a leader. Uh, for, you know, acting in a very similar way. And I think the one thing that I found the most challenging, which I've kind of owned now, is I just hate being told to smile. So that I, I got that comment a lot, I think, because my resting face, my non-smiling face looks different than my smiling face. And when I'm happy, when I'm in a good mood, I'm smiling. But sometimes I'm not feeling anything. Uh, and uh, my non-smiling face, that's just something I own now. I have no issue saying that's just my face. And these may not seem like major things, but I think over time, these are just microaggressions that build up. So these are gendered expectations, I feel, that stick out for me at different points in my career that I faced and being the only woman in the room, communicating with only men. And although I've often thought that, you know, my hard work or my work ethic my accomplishments could speak for themselves and my gender shouldn't matter. I think something I kept in the back of my mind always was that there are underlying issues and underlying biases that I would have to fight against, if not just for me, then for the other women that I work with um, and other women on my team. Thank you, Mandy. I appreciate you bringing to the discussion the microaggressions because that's certainly something that happens. For those just tuning in, my name is Melissa Harrell Fry, and I'm speaking with women from Profix. We've been discussing women in the tech industry as part of X-Ray's annual Amplify Women Teach In. I'm joined by panelists from Profix, and we've been talking about the both triumphs and challenges that we've had in our careers. I'd like to turn our discussion now to balance. The first thing that comes to my mind is that as a woman, I see myself as a caregiver. And I know work-life balance is a universal challenge for anyone with a job. I do think it's especially challenging for women. I would like to hear from the panel about their experiences or a time when work-life balance has been difficult. 
Marley, I know that you have balanced your career and your children and your additional part-time side hustle, which is really not a side hustle, with our social responsibility committee. Would you like to talk to us some about how that has been for you? I would love to. Um, I think I could talk for hours about this topic, literally, and I will do my best to narrow down the discussion to just a few things. Before I dive in, I think it's important to keep in mind that I am a Canadian and I was able to leverage the extended maternity leave available to working mothers who can financially afford it um, by law in Canada. And having said that, talking about the balance of working parents, working mothers specifically, and the mat leave experience, uh, I just wanted to, uh, to touch upon this because I have experienced it recently. I, I think there is still today a very strong maternal bias in our society at large. In conversations with friends and family, I constantly hear things like, I just got married. There's no way I'll be promoted now because my manager is expecting me to have a baby soon. Or I'm pregnant and I don't want to share that I am extremely sick and unwell because I have performance reviews coming up and I'm a candidate for promotion. Or questions like, you're pregnant. Are you going to return to work after the baby arrives? Or even better, you return to work oh, now you have kids, where are your priorities? Are they at work or are they at home? These are conversations and situations that you never hear an expecting or new father experience. And navigating these things as a woman is emotionally taxing. It's confusing since motherhood is this constantly evolving roller coaster and your identity constantly evolves and changes with it. I would confidently describe my identity before maternity leave and before having kids as a strong, ambitious, career-driven woman. I had doubts that my department would even thrive without me while I was on maternity leave. I value my work and it valued me back. Work played a huge role in my identity and it was all I had known until I became a mother. Transitioning into motherhood, learning how to care for a baby while often neglecting for yourself with absolutely no breaks or no opportunities to do any activities that define you as an individual, you can easily lose yourself. Or in my case, go through an identity crisis. Who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I now a sleep-deprived, silent, unsocialized, domestic slave? <laughs> uh, where is that strong, ambitious, career-driven woman and the value recognition that she thrived on every day? This is identity crisis. Over time in my maternity leave, I leaned into my motherhood role. I found purpose in creating community playgroups. I, I found success um, in researching child development techniques and making sure my kids were hitting their milestones. I finally stopped checking work emails and I gave myself permission to disconnect in order to connect. And I became comfortable in my new identity as a mother and then boom, maternity leave is over. It is time to transition back to work. Let's thrust this new mom back into the workforce, but not just back into the workforce. Let's also retain all the expectations that she will continue the domestic work and the child rearing as well. I think Statistics Canada estimates that on an average, women still do 50% more domestic chores than men at home. And research shows that social gender norms contribute not only to greater expectations of women at home, but it also impacts their ability to take advantage of even family-friendly policies at work. So let's, let's talk about gender equality and equity, right? As a new mother transitioning back to work, she will continue to have no time for herself, 
while continually giving to her employer and her family? And where are her priorities towards her career, towards her children? What is the expectation to balance that? And what is your identity now? Gender and this assumed and perpetuating gender role is one of the, just the many aspects that create a woman's identity. And our identities are formed by our experiences, but also our experiences are often triggered by our understanding of identities. And I really resonated with um, a recent article I read. It was called um, Women Rising, the Unseen Barriers. And it identifies this concept of internalizing a leadership identity. So the, the traditional leadership track doesn't often address that fragile process of coming to see yourself and having others see you as a leader. Becoming a leader involves so much more than just putting yourself in a leadership role, acquiring new skills and adapting a, a new uh, style. Um, it involves fundamentally shifting your identity. It, it should imply that you have to internalize this sense of yourself as a leader, which for women experiencing that subtle gender bias that persists in organizations and in society, it disrupts this, this cycle that is at the heart of becoming a leader and, and finding career progression. Um, it disrupts your identity, really. So do you, in transitioning back to work, do, where are your priorities? Do you see yourself as a leader, as a mother, as a woman? Do you believe them all to be true to your core? And can you balance them all? This is transitioning back to work. And I talk about all these things kind of in the third person, but these are all very real experiences and topics that I've had in transitioning both in and out of maternity leave, trying to navigate understanding my identity, where I belong and where I fit. Thank you, Marley. That is such great um, thought-provoking points to think about in your journey and a journey that many of us take in motherhood and time off. I think also, Jasmine, um, you have an experience of the other end of that um, circle of life um, that I also have experienced with uh, my parents. Um, I'd love to hear from you on the opposite end of this type of women's journey. Uh, yes. Um, so essentially, um, I would say it, so back in 2021, um, I had what I would call a confluence of tragedies. Uh, so um, in the space of one month, um, so to give you a timeline, August 4th, um, I signed a separation agreement to end my marriage. August 5th, I flew uh, from Canada back to the Bahamas, which is where I'm from to be with my family uh, because I had uh, two family members that were sick with COVID. Uh, August 12th, uh, my grandmother passed away due to COVID. And August 21st, nine days later, my father passed away also due to COVID. And obviously all of that happening in the space of a very short period of time, you know, you don't sign a separation agreement on a whim. Um, so that's something that sort of came, um, it, it kind of developed and all of that. And, you know, my marriage was ending. And then I also had two very important people in my life uh, that I lost all within a very, very short period of time. And that for me was just, I think, a realization of what is important in in life in in general losing all of that combined with the pressures of work in that the role that I was in at the time it was a very very high pressure high volume um very very demanding role and uh of course it contributed to burnout for me it was a time to just take stock and to really think about, okay, well, what is really, really important in my life? Yes, work is something that I'm driven by, but at the end of the day, as Marley saw when she went on that leave, work continues without you. 
right? So, you know, it was kind of just a, a little bit of a rejigging of priorities and just a realization that uh, you do need balance and it is very important to um, spend time with family, spend time in the relationships that are important to you and to make sure as well that you take care of yourself as all as a part of that because you can also you know just completely involve yourself with your family and your friends and all that and not take the amount of time that's needed for yourself so as a part of my healing and dealing with uh, all of that trauma later on in 2021 toward the end of the year uh, I decided to take a leave of absence and so I ended up taking I think it was three months off of work Fortunately, I was in a position where I was able to financially afford to take three months off unpaid. Then I know that not everyone is in a position to do that. But for my own sanity and just for the purpose of trying to make sure that I properly healed and properly processed everything that was going on, I felt that it was necessary. Since coming back from that leave of absence, um, it's been, you know, a continual exercise in just ensuring that while I am definitely still very, very involved and very, very engaged in my work, also making sure that work is not taking over my life. And when it comes to family and when it comes to caregiving, you know, like a part of that was also, um, you know, what helped to drive the breakdown of my marriage is that on the one hand, I had my ex-husband where it was very much, uh, oh, you know, on the surface, he's like encouraging me to go for that promotion or go for this and all that. But then when it came to the practicalities of living with that, he was not necessarily willing to support me in the ways that you would need to have a supportive family structure in order to be able to take on those promotions and and all that because promotions usually come with more hours right you need to put in more time you need to put in more effort and that's in direct conflict with oftentimes what is society's expectation of a woman's role as the primary caregiver in the home yeah that was my that was my lived experience and so you know it was just a very, very difficult time, but also something where it basically just made me realize that it is very, very important to not only take the time for yourself and process things properly. And I saw a therapist and, and everything also just on a continual basis to always sort of take stock of is there anything that is taking over my life such that it shouldn't be, right? And so just just kind of keeping that always um, and making sure that you are in all aspects of your life, uh, you are just processing things in a healthy manner. Thank you, Jasmine, for your candor in that particular topic. I think it's very hard for all of us as women to try to do it all. That's what we're taught that we should be able to do. And it's very difficult to do it all. We've had such good discussion, but we're coming upon our hour of time. So I'm going to ask the last question uh, that we have today. And I recently read in both Forbes and National American University articles about the importance of women in tech. And I really believe that that is the case. If you each could boil it down to one reason, what would you say is the most important reason to increase the number of women in tech? And what has been your most important thing that you've done in your career that you would suggest to other women going into the industry? So Susan, I'd like to start with you. Sure. I think why more women in tech? To answer that, I would say, why not? Right? There's no reason for there not to be an equal number of women to men in tech or in any other industry for that matter. We're equal, we're smart, we're driven, we've got good ideas, creative thinking, we've got a lot of great characteristics that sometimes men don't have that can make us strong leaders, great working with customers and so on. So to me, the why is why not? There's no reason not. In terms of advice I would give to young women in tech, 
or really probably anywhere, my experience is obviously all in tech, is know that you are there because you deserve to be there. That would be the one thing I would say to remember is have that confidence. Earlier, Mandy and others talked about tooting your own horn. I agree women are not strong at that. I'm not strong at that at all. Again, I've been very fortunate in managing the balance that we've spoken about and build building that career but it's it's really confidence and knowing that you deserve to be there and that you bring value to your organization to your company to your team enjoy it and get the gratification that comes with the role you play in your own learning and in helping others learn and develop mandy Yes. So in regards to why more women in tech, in my opinion, diversity is very valuable. So as Susan was saying, why not? I think it's always a good thing to have different perspectives, but also different leadership styles as well. Um, In regards to what advice I would give to other women, I would say don't change yourself to try to fit in. You don't need to try to act like a man to find success in any company. You don't need to change the way you speak. You don't need to change the way you lead. You don't need to smile more because they're telling you to smile more. You bring value just the way you are and your company is better off by having somebody like you. So don't change yourself. Marley? I think it's so women don't feel like the exception to the workforce. So we don't feel as women like we're positioned as a deviation from humanity, which often is referred to in this male perspective. I would just like to create a world where my daughter can be a software developer or a product manager or a consultant or an executive and not feel like the only in a room where she can live and work and express herself without feeling like she should be silenced or that she's in isolation. Women in tech is not about really advocating for our right to be there or even battling the gender bias that perpetuates that we're not smart enough to be there. For me, it's it's a level deeper and challenging that there's this society's constant narrative of the male as the default, like the default gender of humanity is is male. And instead actually leveraging the differences of views and opinions and strategies and skills of a variety of people and a variety of genders, um, and people with different backgrounds and experiences. And by leveraging all of that, you can hopefully invite innovation and equity into the world. And that's why this topic becomes important. And I guess that leaves me to speak on uh, why more women in tech as a part of, I I guess, one of my passions with being on the diversity, equity, and inclusion committee is all about uh, increasing diversity and increasing inclusion, but also combating bias. And just the fact that technology is infiltrating every single aspect of our lives. Without women at the table, not only are we more likely to perpetuate or worsen the biases that, you know, humans have, but we may even miss out on certain opportunities or innovations because we're not getting the voices of women. So I just recently read a study that was conducted by MIT's Media Lab, and it indicated that when it came to um, something like facial recognition software, facial recognition is great when you're a white man. They've tested and recognized that there is basically a 1% margin of error. But on the other hand, and, you know, looking at intersectionality as well, uh, when looking at women, and then also combining that for women with darker faces, with me being a Black female, the error rate went from 1%, not to 5%, not to 10%, but to 35%. So just imagine that. And why is that? You know, it's because the data sets that are being used are predominantly white and predominantly male. 
so that's something that you need to definitely address. And then on the other hand, when it comes to um, innovation, there's a new term for, it's not that new, it's been around probably for a good like eight years or so, but femtech. And it's basically technology that is specifically geared towards the health of women, um, you know, health issues and things like that, that are either solely for women or, you know, disproportionately impact women. And that's been uh, now noted that that's potentially a trillion dollar industry. So by not having women at the table, you're potentially missing out on a huge, huge economic opportunity. And then to close out, I'll just say in, in terms of what would I tell young people or young women that are entering uh, technology or really any industry, um, one of the most important things I think is find a sponsor. And I don't mean a mentor, but an actual sponsor. This is something that you can develop over time. Um, it, you can't just go up and ask somebody that you've never met to be your sponsor. But a sponsor is someone who can not only give you advice, um, be a mentor and help to provide you with guidance throughout your career, but also someone who has the power and the influence to actually help you advance within your organization. So this obviously has to be someone that you work with. You would have to form a relationship with them and all that and to trust them. Um, but basically, this is someone who has both the power and the influence to be able to help you to advance within the organization. And don't be afraid to do that, to form those relationships. And don't be afraid to stand up for yourself and to take credit where it's due. This discussion has been incredibly interesting. And I hope our listeners have found it enlightening, too. I want to thank this amazing group of women for their candor, for sharing their experience, and for supporting me today. While X-Ray is amplifying women today, we need to amplify women's voices every day to encourage and support women in their careers and in their personal growth, and ensure women have an equal seat at the table today, tomorrow, and always.